Uh, I want to welcome you back. Uh, track one, I hope you've been so encouraged. I remember when I was in your seat seven years ago, just blown away by the teaching of the CBCD and how helpful it was for my everyday ministry. I hope you're uh, discovering that as well. Um, it's a pleasure to be here again and to address you. I was with you guys, I think it was weekend two, but um, here we are again. And you need more uh, than me because uh, we're talking about something really important and really controversial, the role of a wife in marriage. And so we need the Lord's help, if you would. Uh, would you go with me? to him in prayer. God, I thank you for these people who love your word and love your people and who you are calling to do this great ministry of helping others in seasons of sorrow and seasons of sin. And one of the most heartbreaking things in this world hurting marriages, one of the main targets of the enemy is marriage, and how we function in marriage says so very much about our trust in you, so we pray that this hour together would be an opportunity for us to trust in you with all our hearts. And not to lean on our own understanding, but when it comes to the role of wives in marriage, and when it comes to our counseling of wives in marriage, that we would in those ways acknowledge you. And we believe if we do, you will make our path straight. So God, would you help us by your spirit because of Jesus? Amen. The wife's role... In marriage, what makes a good wife? That was a rhetorical question. Uh, maybe we'll get some more interaction. I'd love some interaction, but uh, let me give you Hollywood's answer before you give me the right answer. Hollywood answers the question, what makes a good wife? And they answer it with romance. Uh, Because Hollywood knows that our hearts are focused on our happiness. Happy wife? Well, the Bible says, and I think one of our brothers over here said, or someone over here said, it is God who actually makes good wives. I trust you, you just heard about husbands, the role of husbands? Well... Like husbands, wives are not free to choose what they should do in marriage. Marriage was made by God, and marriage was made for God. And one day, wives like their husbands are going to be evaluated to how they and their marriage aligned with what God said about marriage. There is good news in what God says about marriage, though, beloved. God is really good. And that means what He has said about marriage and living out marriage by the book, it is one of the sweetest blessings in all the world. I want to talk to you about the role of a wife in marriage, and I want you to think of it in terms of a wife in light of God. A wife in light of God. Now, I hope that phrase that's not all that clear will become more clear as we go. I've made this observation about some of the key passages that describe what a wife's role is, that a wife is called to do certain things right alongside God doing certain things. So let me give you a main point, an observation from three passages, Genesis chapter 2, 
Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives are called to do certain things alongside God doing certain things. Here's the main point. A wife can do all God says because of all He's done. A wife can do all God says because of all He's done. So this, this talk now is, a, is, is about what God wants wives to do, but it's also about how wives can be able to actually do it. So let's look at the first passage. Genesis chapter 12, turn, or 2. Genesis chapter 2. We see there that wives are made by God to help, to help. Genesis chapter 2 is the first primary text we'll be in. And I'm going to read to you from eight, verse 18 to the rest of the chapter. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this... At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and and shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God made the woman to be a wife. And what that means is every single woman who becomes a wife can learn about her role as a wife from looking at this first woman. Chapter 2, again in verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Wives, first of all, were made by God to help their husbands. What that means is a wife being a helper is not a fad. It's not like fashion, you know, like bell bottoms. Is this the right crowd to talk about bell bottoms? You know, are they in? Are they out? The wife being a helper isn't a fad. It's the reason God gives for creating wives, for creating marriage. When you think of wives being a helper, it's important that we don't think of slavery. Somehow our minds go there. Or menial servitude. Menial servitude like the help. Our culture thinks that way. They may view service roles as inferior, but God does not. This word help is used of God more than a dozen times. It's not inferior. It's used of God. Listen to just Psalm 33. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our, same word, help. He is our help. So that means, wives, whenever God says, I'm going to make you a helper, He's saying, I'm going to make you like me. To embrace the role of helper does not mean that wives are less valuable than their their husbands. 
Genesis 1, verse 27, before chapter 2, tells us where the value and dignity of a woman comes from. It's not from her role as a wife. It's from her nature as God's image. This is where value and dignity comes from. And we're told this first in Genesis 1 and verse 27. God created man, that is humanity, in his own image. And then humanity is then described... The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The value of a woman, the dignity of a woman, comes from the fact that she is made in God's image. And this is this is what I mean when I say, wives can help their husband because of what God has done. God is a helper, and he's made wives to image him in this way. Because of what he's done, in making her his image because of what he's done in giving her life. That's when he makes her a helper. When he creates marriage, she's given life by him. She's given a marriage by him. She can do all, God says, because of all he's done. So how should a wife help her husband? First of all, in the context of the home, A wife can help her husband in the context of the home. God said this man needs a helper. And the help that the man needed, he started looking for her. Do you remember what he does? He first looks at the monkey. And then he looks at the three-toed sloth. This is why verses 19 and 20 come right after these verses. He's looking for a helper and they ain't going to cut it. And so God makes the woman and gives her to him. And the wife's primary place to help him is in the home. See that here in the home of Eden. But also we see this in Proverbs 31. Listen what Proverbs 31 verse 27 says. She looks well to the ways of her household. She looks to the ways of her household. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament. Women, godly women in the church are to train young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home. The wife's primary place is in the home. Now, Proverbs 31. The, the, the woman there makes sashes in the home, and then she goes out to the market. And she sells them. And there are going to be situations where a wife's ability to contribute financially may even be a necessity, and it's certainly not wrong. But wives should be careful that their activities outside the home would not get in the way of the home as the primary place. Of ministry, So she should help her husband in the context of the home, but she should also help her husband with companionship. Eve, we're told, was a helper fit for Adam. A companion who fit him. She was exactly right for Adam. And Adam knows it. When, when, when he looks at all the animals, right, he says, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. When God presents his wife, she says, this. He says, at last, this is the one. And listen, whenever a man wants a woman to be his wife, and whenever that woman says, I do, She, like Eve, is discovering who God made her for, to help. To help specifically with companionship. And it is not good that he should be alone, to help him not feel alone. Now this companionship has different aspects. In Genesis 2, we see, first of all, it's physical. It's a physical companionship. We see that in verses 24 and 25. In the sexual relationship of the husband and wife, sex is a privilege, 
according to God's word, that's only for marriage and sex, the, the fitting together of the man and the helper who fits him. Sex is part of what God uses to fight off this loneliness that he's talking about. But the wife helps her husband with a companionship also that an emo- has an emotional aspect to it. Companionship has an emotional aspect to it. Men should not look for emotional support from any other woman. And wives should be careful not to offer this kind of emotional marriage kind of companionship to any other man. So it's good for for wives just to embrace this opportunity to find out how their husband is doing with stress that he's bearing. and So he doesn't, he's not alone in it emotionally. Also, a, a wife helps her husband with the companionship and there's spiritual aspects to it. Again, man and woman, one page before this, were made in the image of God to mirror God, to, to, to receive who God is like a mirror and then to reflect who God is to everyone around them. That man and woman are made in the image of God to know God and, and to make God known. They're to do this together. Wives help their husbands to do this kind of spiritual work. Wives should be praying for their husbands, speaking the truth to their husbands, encouraging their husbands to put God first and not her. So it's really common for my wife, really common for my wife to ask me, what can I do to help you right now? It's just a really good question. And now I'm trying to encourage wives in marriage counseling to just get in the habit of asking for the sake of embracing that God made them to help. Kelly, my wife, says, what do you need right now? She did it today. She did it today. I'm teaching three of these sessions tonight. So I'm going to finish my sermon for Sunday. I was a bit stressed. and I had a little bit of time this, this morning. And she's educating five kids and she stops educating them and she comes to me and says, what can I do? So she printed out all my notes. She helped me find a a, a drawing of a sheep because I used the, I I made a drawing in another class. You got to go to track three for that. Ayo. And uh, I drew a wolf in that one. We're talking about church discipline. It was really amazing actually uh, drawing, but with the help of my wife. She helped me to find a certain part of Pilgrim's Progress because I plan to use it in the sermon on Sunday. She, ladies, regularly ask your husband, how can I help you right now? How can I grow in being a blessing to you in the home? So a wife can do all God says because of all he's done. He did this thing in making her to help, but then secondly... He empowered, a wife is to be empowered by the Spirit of God to submit. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. If you would please turn in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, the New Testament, after the Gospels and the longer letters of Paul. Gentiles eat pork chops. We're in the eat. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're in the eat portion. Ephesians chapter 5. Guys, the jokes aren't going to get any better. I'm telling you right now. So if you want to laugh, if it will help you, just take it when it comes. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, verses 22 through 24. Listen to what God says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. About a year ago, 
um, my, my kids have been wanting a dog for a long time. So Kelly and I thought they were old enough to handle the responsibility of the little puppies. So we got, a, got them a puppy a year ago. I just want to tell you, look, I, I'm a minister of the gospel. I have a commitment to the truth. I just want to be honest with you about who is speaking to you right now. I got some counsel from friends of mine who are dog trainers. And they told me if this is a boy dog and it was a boy dog, that it's important that the man of the house, right when you get that little puppy boy, you take him, you flip him on his back, and then you yell at him. I am the alpha dog. You will submit. <laughs> now, I wish I could say this was a Rottweiler I was doing this to, or a, a bulldog. It was, a, it was a, like a real baby King Charles Spaniel. But nonetheless, listen, I'm trying to trust. I'm not an expert. They said this is what you do. So over and over the first few days, I would take little Toby, little Toby, little Tobias, and I would flip him over and I would look at him sternly. I am the alpha dog. You will submit. Well, Toby, Toby and I had a rough start. And, <laughs> and I don't know what you think about my dog training practices but I will say this I know my wife is not a dog I mean and listen I've just exposed this truth about myself but let me talk to you now and especially to the men God tells wives to be submissive He doesn't tell husbands to be enforcers. God, in this section of Ephesians, He wants you and He wants me to focus on what He says to you and to me. And He's talking to wives when He says in verse 22, be submissive. And then He talks to the husbands in verse 25 when He says, be loving. That is the focus. So my prayer is that every man here is married to a godly woman who submits by the power of the Spirit. For every boy here, man here, who's not yet married, if God would give you a wife, my prayer is that He would make her a submissive wife. But what is far more important than you getting a godly spouse is you being a godly spouse. And so he speaks to the wives and he says, you should submit. Now, a wife's submission can be understood with three phrases, and I've given you the first one already. A wife should, is empowered by the Spirit to submit to, it says, your own husbands. God is not calling women to submit to every man out there. Now, some people are offended that God would call women to submit to any man out there. I faced this whenever I was working as a 24-year-old man 21 years ago, and my coworker came to our wedding, and when we exchanged vows, she said, I cannot believe that you had her say that she vowed to submit to you. Why is it so hard for wives to submit to their own husbands? I'm going to humbly try to suggest to you, it's not just because husbands are selfish, and we are selfish. It's also hard for wives to submit to their husbands because every daughter of Eve is predisposed to steal the pants in the family, you could say. That's what it says in Ephesians or Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. When sin comes into the world, God addresses the wife and he says, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. The, the context, which we see in chapter 4, when he uses the same kinds of phrases, is, is 
your desire is going to be to rule over your husband sinfully, wrongly. So we want to counsel wives to believe this, even to be prepared for this. This is going to be hard for you. You're naturally predisposed not to do this. You need to be empowered by the Spirit if you're ever going to do this. And we want to see wives then be wise as hard as it is. With the help of the Spirit, they can do it and they should do it because Romans 13 says this, whoever resists the authorities that God has appointed will incur judgment. There in context, he's talking about governing authorities, but he says, whatever authorities exist in this world, God has established and you are actually opposing him. And that's never safe to do that. So it's hard. But they are called to submit to their own husbands. How a wife relates to her husband reflects how she relates to God. Second, wives are to submit. Here's the other phrase we see in Ephesians 5, 22-24. As to the Lord. Now, the world is full of premarital counselors. Okay? I heard this counsel before we got married. And the counsel is this. I'm sure you've heard it. It's preached on just about every sitcom out there. Just do what she says. Well, the Lord has marriage advice as well. And we see some of it in Genesis whenever sin comes in and then he speaks to the husband. And when he speaks to the husband in his sin, what did he say? You did what you did. You did what she told you to do. Because you're under the influence of Satan. If you do what she tells you to do, just understand, God used that kind of language in Genesis 3. It's because you listen to your wife. And so wives are to submit to their husbands, and the only way they can do this, and I want you to see this in Ephesians, is they they can't live under the influence of Satan. They have to live under the influence of the Spirit. She can submit to her husbands if she's empowered by the Spirit. I want you to see this in the text. Ephesians 5 verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 21, one of the ways that you, one of the things you will do if you're filled with the Spirit is you'll submit to one another and specifically wives, verse 22, will submit to their husbands if they are filled with the Spirit. And the way that many are filled with wine. What what is the connection between being filled with wine and being filled with the Spirit? Well, it's because if you fill yourself with wine, you come under the influence of the wine. It becomes this powerful agent in your life and you start to do what it's telling you to do rather than what you would normally do. And so contrary to that, Paul uses that image there and says, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And wives, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, that's the only way this is going to work. Again in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as, here's the phrase, to the Lord. Which is saying, whoops,
a key way that a wife submits to Jesus as to the Lord Jesus. A key way a wife submits to Jesus is by submitting to her husband. Now to submit means to arrange or place yourself under. And what, what Paul is saying is just like every Christian should voluntarily surrender Christ's will, so godly wives will have an attitude of and a posture of voluntarily placing themselves under, surrendering to the will of their husband. This is really strong language. And the reason she's to do that is because Jesus Christ says to. She's submitting to him and his will when she submits to her husband. So listen, what this means is, if you want to know how far a wife has come as a Christian, don't look at her involvement in BSF. Don't, don't just look at the attention and affection that her children have for her. Don't just look at all the things she's doing in the church. Look at what she does when she disagrees with her husband's leadership. It's one of the, one of the real moments in my marriage about 20 years ago, I think. 18 years ago, my wife is an optometrist and she graduated from optometry school in Houston. We were moving and I was going to seminary and my wife had, it was something like 12 job offers in Fort Worth and I'm from Arlington originally. So our families were here and that looked really appealing. I looked at a seminary that I wanted to attend across the country where we had never lived, where we knew no one, where we were far away from family. And I believed I'd get better training there. She was offered only one job. And that was a real moment where she wanted one thing. And I said, we should do another thing. And she submitted by the power of the Spirit. Wives should submit to their own husband. This is why. Because the one who is telling her to do that is a good king, is a gracious king, and he knows what's best. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but. Let me, let me address that. It's the third thing wives are to submit to their husbands in everything, the text says. Submit to your husband. God's saying, wives, submit to your husband in every decision that he's allowed to make. Wives should submit to their husband in every decision that he's allowed by God to make. So husbands do not have authority to ask their wives to sin. This is what uh, Peter says in Acts chapter 5 when he's told not to preach the gospel anymore. He says, we must obey God and not man. So when God commands something, we have to obey it. Husbands don't have the authority to ask their wives to sin and husbands don't have the authority to ask their wives to break the law. God, in Romans chapter 13, sets up governing authorities to rule over us, set up laws. And that this means that wives should not submit to their husbands sometimes. Should never submit to their husbands' desire to use pornography to, to spice up the marriage. should never submit to their husband's fearful desire to cheat on their taxes. Should never submit to their husband's request to support his addiction. 
should never submit to his insistence that she not tell the authorities when she's been, when he's been physically abusive to her or to the kids. Should not submit to his insistence that he not, that she not tell the elders when he's living in unrepentant sin. And let me, let me say something else. Wives should submit to their husbands as helpers. Okay? So the first thing has to do with the second thing. Helpers. Husbands should consult their wives and often should make their plans in light of their wives' wisdom. And yet wives need to just get ready. Get ready for the temptation that they're going to face not to submit to their husband. They're going to face that temptation. And and they're going to face that temptation maybe even when uh, what he's asking is not sinful. But they're especially going to face this temptation when what he's asking is not sinful and yet the way that he's asking is sinful. The way that he's asking is sinful. In 1 Peter 3, our next passage addresses that exact scenario. And there we're going to see in a moment that God wants wives to submit even when their husbands, listen, disobey the word. Even if their husbands are unbelievers and don't obey any word of the Lord. This is really hard. But wives must not sin against the Lord by refusing to submit to their husband just because he's sinful in how he leads. So let me, let me just say something to, to the wives here. Ladies, your husbands are going to have stupid ideas. And if they're not sinful and they're not illegal, you should submit. Be filled with the Spirit. And by the power of the Spirit, the Lord will be pleased. And you can trust the Lord is going to take care of you. Listen, husbands, this is me too. This is going to be a lot easier for our wives if it is absolutely clear to them that we know that Jesus is the Alpha Dog. Remember this, finding a submissive wife in this world, finding a submissive wife in this world is more amazing than finding life on Mars. It's, what, I, I, don't, I don't mean that they're not all over our churches because they are, but I'm just trying to remind you in this world of self-obsessed rebels, apart from God's grace, it's absolutely impossible to find a wife like that. And what that means is husbands should be encouraged to guard their wives from discouragement. Should be encouraged to tell her all the ways that she's growing and how precious she is to him. If you look down in Ephesians 5 before we get to uh, 1 Peter 3, it says that this mystery of marriage is that about Christ and the church. The wife submitting to her husband reflects the church's submission to Christ. What a calling. What a calling. And again, impossible. But beloved, remember, all things are possible with God. What I'm saying is, a wife can do all God says because of all he's done. The role of a wife is to help her husband in light of God the Creator. She is to submit in light of God the Spirit. And then finally we add that she is to respect in light of God the Son. Point number three, a wife's role is she's been redeemed by Christ for this purpose and that is to respect her husband. Listen to First Peter chapter three and verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. We're in the world of submission still, but listen, so that even if some do not obey the word, if some husbands don't obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see 
your respectful, there it is, respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 1, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then it's described in verse 2 as respecting. Now, I want you to see this. What verse 1 starts with, it's the word likewise. Likewise, okay? So this is not the first thing he's talking about. Likewise connects back up in chapter 2 and verse 21. Listen to this. For to this you have been called. And what, what Christians have been called to is unfair suffering. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then it describes how Jesus suffered for us in verse 22. He didn't sin. He didn't lie. Verse 23, he was reviled, but he didn't revile. He suffered, but he didn't make any threats. But instead of that, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then it says in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. This is what God has called you to. This is a gracious thing in the eyes of God. This is what God has given you grace to do, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus when He redeemed us by His blood. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That's how wives follow in the steps of Jesus. To submit with respect even when they are being unjust. So, the wife's model for this respect for a sinner is laid out for us right before this. It's when Christ died to save sinners. That's why I say wives have been redeemed by Christ to respect. Wives can do what God says because of what Christ has done. And suffering for our sins. So what this means is if wives are going to be who God calls them to be, they're going to have to keep the cross in front of their eyes at all times. And remember, even when marriage is hard, even when respecting her husband is hard, even when he's being sinful and disobedient, don't conclude that God is punishing you in your marriage. Don't conclude that God does not love you. No, you've just been told how much he loves you. And he's also told you in chapter 2, verse 25, not only did he die for you, but he's never going to leave you. He's the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's with wives in marriage. And and, and he says that wives in marriage have powerful influence. Powerful influence. Even when their husbands are living in a spirit of rebellion. But notice what it says in 1 Peter 3. The wife's influence in that case is not verbal, it's behavioral. It's the conduct of the wives that wins the husband without a word. It's the conduct that's respectful. It's a call to submit, but it's, it keeps being connected with this idea of respect. When it, even when it gets to Sarah, the woman of old who hoped in God, this is how when she submitted by calling her husband Lord. It's a respect thing. Well, I heard that T. Swift is back in the news. Y'all know T. Swizzles? No T. Swizzle fans in here? Taylor Swift, no one? You're just going to leave me up here by myself? (laughs) T. Swift, got her a new man. Here I am, I just just heard her singing about another guy. Now she's got another one. Romance is a fickle thing. 
And wives need to know something. God is not fickle. He's not attracted to this one day and then attracted to something else another day. What does it say? Imperishable beauty in the eyes of God. God has a standard for beauty that is imperishable. The beauty is imperishable. But it says in God's sight, this is currently and always going to be a precious thing to Him. He's not fickle. And so He says... Again in verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And that gentle and quiet spirit, these aspects of respect in God's sight is very precious. Now, when we read verses 3 and 4, listen, if you were raised on Amelia Bedelia, can I hit some more people in here? I did the bell bottoms. I'm doing T-Swift. Amelia Bedelia. You might misunderstand verse 3. Amelia Bedelia was told to make a date cake. A date cake. And so she took her calendar, cut up all the dates on the calendar, and put it in batter and then baked it. It's quite literal. God's not saying that wives should never use a curling iron. What he's saying... His wives, do not give in to the temptation to find your worth in men looking at you a certain way. He's saying don't spend your resources of time on your outward fading beauty, but beautify what is hidden to men but is seen by God. Respectful wives. Let's see, let me... Those who submit to their husbands outwardly first respect their husbands inwardly. And that inward kind of respect comes out of a a beauty that God gives to wives. And, And it's described here as having the beauty mark of gentleness. Gentleness. That's what it means to be respectful, to be gentle. It's a kindness that is concerned about others and not self. And especially concerned about her husband and not herself. Respectful wives are gentle. They're not hard. They're not demanding. They're not nagging. They're not manipulating to get what they want. They gentle, gently suggest. Respectful wives have this beauty mark of gentleness, but also this beauty mark of quietness. That is to say, and our counselees need to hear it, and we need to hear it, and we need to pray for it, that a respectful wife is not quarrelsome. How many wives naturally are so very quarrelsome? And God is saying, gentle and quiet spirit, not constantly blaming their husbands, not Constantly tempting their husbands to go sleep up on that roof because I ain't going to stop nagging because it's better to sleep up there than next to me. Now, I want you to see this. This is absolutely essential. A respectful wife is quiet in this specific way. Well, this is, this is sensitive. This thing is sensitive on that little trigger. A respectful wife is quiet. This is the key. And that her heart is calmed by her complete confidence in the Lord. That's how she can be quiet. Because she totally trusts the Lord. This is why it says, likewise wives do this. What, what did it say about Jesus whenever he was going to the cross, whenever he was reviled, he did not revile in return, whenever he was threatened or whenever uh, he was hated, he didn't make any threats. But he, di- he was doing something. He was not doing some things, but he was doing something that he didn't stop doing. It says he c- 
kept on entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He was completely confident the Lord is going to take care of me. I don't have to answer this. And here the wife is called in verses 5 and 6 to completely confide, to hope in God. This is absolutely essential. Now, when I say the beauty mark of uh, gentleness and the beauty mark of quietness, I, I typically get some sort of objection from ladies who say, I'm wired differently than that. I'm not quiet. I'm a bit loud. A bit rough around the edges. And so they start, they, they just, they hear this and then they start talking about their natural personality. And say, basically, they don't need to do this gentle and quiet thing. And I would just want to gently remind counselees in those situations that God says that every daughter of Eve is tempted to take over. God says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, that that everybody's sinful passions or Christian sinful passions are at war with their soul. There's sin in our souls that, 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 that try to keep us from doing what God clearly tells us to do. So I just want to ask, how, how can you be sure that your defensiveness and your excuses for not doing this are not just your sin? Maybe it is harder for some because of their personality, but that is not a reason to avoid this. This is the imperishable beauty that God sees as very precious, gentle and quiet wives who respect their husbands. That word respect, it comes from the word, the same word as fear. In other words, it's in the same realm of how we're called to relate to God, but how we're to regard God. Now, obviously, God is not wanting a wife to be scared of her husband. But when he puts in this reverence realm, what he's doing is he's saying wives should see to it that they respect their husbands and treat their husbands the way that God wants her to treat them. So one of the things like in marriage counseling that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encourage for wives who are struggling in these ways is, is I want to encourage them to look for ways to celebrate their husband. To celebrate. When she's so aware of all his failures, to celebrate the things he does right, to his strengths and his successes. I want to encourage wives toward respect, which means I want to discourage them from rolling their eyes whenever he's wrong. I want to encourage her to discover what it is that makes him feel respected, what it is that makes him feel disrespected. I think it's worth her knowing that. So that he actually experiences this. I want to encourage her to champion his decisions. Not to hear his decisions and then go talk to the kids about it in any other kind of way than championing it. I want to encourage her to cheer her husband on in private and in public. To honor his wishes for how the children are raised even when he's not around. I mean, one of the things that happens whenever I get home, and it may happen tonight, like at 10.30 or whenever it is, I get home to Graham. Often the lights are still on, the kids are still up, and whenever I pull in, they run to the door and they celebrate that daddy's home. And they do that because my wife has trained them. They have watched my wife celebrate me. I want to encourage wives to find the you know, the holy women of old. I mean, look at the Bible and, and find examples of the holy women of old and, and model your life and, and your response to your husband after them, but also find the holy women of today. And if you belong to a healthy church where Christ's gospel is preached, then I think what you're going to find is loads of holy women. 
who can be great models. Now I want to say something else. You can often spot which wives excel at respect. But by looking at the esteem that husband has in her eyes. In a similar way, a wife who resists what God says can also be seen on her husband. Here's what I mean. Sometimes men carry around a kind of nervous energy. He's scared. He's scared to upset his wife. He knows if he doesn't fall in line with her wishes, he's going to pay for it. So I want to encourage Christian wives to understand that being demanding and being easy to offend are just subtle ways seeking to rule over their husbands sinfully. And so sometimes in counseling, I, when this situation is going on, I'll ask the wife, are you willing to ask your husband, do my expectations of you make you afraid to offend me? Now, if she asked that, if he's an unbeliever, if he's a passive or immature believer, then whatever he says in response to that, she probably should process with a trusted sister. Be careful not to excuse herself or slander her husband. But if the husband is godly, she should listen to his answer. And at that point, I need to look to the husband, and if he is the passive sort, and many are, I need to encourage him. When she asks you this, you need to answer honestly. Do it gently, but answer honestly. Because listen, a husband can't do what God wants him to do if he's afraid of his wife. So what Christian wives should be motivated to free her husband up to do what God wants, which is to lead her. Now, I'll tell you, um, I got engaged to my wife, Kelly, uh, less than nine months after God saved me. And, and what I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised with good models of marriage at all. I didn't, I didn't have a, a father in the home. And I'm telling you, nine months into being a Christian, I was not looking for a helper. When I found my wife, I was not looking for someone to submit to me or to respect me. My wife, Kelly, at the time had zero models of this in her life. And over time, she had to grow into these qualities, just like I had to in the godly qualities of a husband. And let me tell you something. I wasn't looking for it. And God gave it. And this is what I'm saying. My wife, I'm telling you right now, I'm sure y'all are great. (laughs) She the best. She excels in each one of these qualities. You know what that means? It means God is gracious. God is gracious. So if you're discouraged by how far you have to go. If your counselee is discouraged in how far they have to go to become a godly wife or a godly husband, if, if they're fearful that their spouse will never be who God calls them to be, this is what Peter ends on. Hope in God. He is gracious. Hope in the Creator. Listen, He's all-powerful. He is going to give His children all that they need. 
hope in the Spirit of God who is going to be faithfully so gracious to guide us into all wisdom and to give us power over our sinful temptations. Hope in God. He's so gracious. Hope in the Son who forgives all of our sins. Who is the shepherd who's going to lead us back to God. That is the God who is at work in hard marriages. Listen, our counselees need to hear this. And you and I need to hear this. Our hope is not ultimately that our spouse will get better at being a spouse. We are hoping in God and wives are hoping in God to help them do all God tells them to do because of all God's done for them. The greatest factor in who you can become as a spouse, who your counselee can become as a spouse, and what their marriage can become is not what they are doing or what their spouse are doing. It's what God is doing. The God of all grace is the greatest factor in every marriage, especially Christian marriages. So hope in God who is a helper after all. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. Though it is contrary to what is natural in us and what is in this world, we know that it is a sure guide to us in marriage. God, we pray for the wives here and all who we counsel as wives that they would do all that you want them to do because of all you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.